Get your brooms out because TCU baseball is back and they are sweeping the competition into the dustbin after a 3-0 and opening weekend. Plus, TCU basketball gets a much-needed game winner from Jameer Nelson Jr. The women's basketball team is getting healthy again. Men's tennis plays in the indoor national championship and more from around the Big 12 all right now on this episode of Frogs Insider. DJ, take it away. Welcome in to this episode of Frogs Insider. I am Jamie Plunkett, here as always with Melissa Shreveblosser. Melissa, I know you love that banger of an intro. It was so good. I want to take people behind the scenes just a little bit here, just a peek behind the curtain. Jamie uh, says, I've had wine, and then proceeds to go, I mean, anyone that's watching just saw him take a sip, and then proceeds (laughs) to say, I had a banger of an intro ready, I forgot it, and then immediately goes, never mind, I got it, and then that was what was delivered um so no complaints uh 10 out of 10 no notes uh perfection both in the uh composition and the delivery method jb plunkett well done well thank you so much it's like we've been doing this thing for a while here a while you know um this is this is the frogs insider podcast (laughs) episode number 54 wow we've been cranking these shows yeah we have this year um and uh, yes, shout out to the Republic of Football Network, which we are a part of, hosted by Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find the show anywhere you get your podcasts. Just go and search Republic of Football Network and we will pop up along with shows for every other D1 program in the state of Texas, all in one feed for your convenience. Very cool. I love listening to the other episodes across the network. A lot of really intelligent people talking ball up and down the network. So it's a lot of fun to listen to. Yeah. And then there's also gambling gauchos and uh, between two bears. So intelligent True. people and then those clowns. But then it's like cinder blocks just yeah, weighing just, the whole thing down. Yeah. And then if you just want the TCU content, you don't want to listen to gambling gauchos or between two bears. You can just search Frogs Insider wherever you get your podcasts and a feed with just our show will show up right there. You can hit the subscribe button on that. And as always, you can go over to YouTube and search Frogs Insider. You'll see full episodes of this show with our faces. You can see me taking a sip of wine here in a minute, or you can watch all of the post-game interviews with TCU coaches, other content that we are creating and putting up there as well. Um, Pretty much multiple times a week, I guess, because we got one weekly podcast and a couple games a week. So refreshing that. Yeah, the only place you're going to find all these great TCU baseball interviews, post-game interviews, because Jamie is out there doing the work, folks. That's facts. Doing the work. That's facts. And we we don't need to go to that other site. Anyways, moving right along. Um, Melissa, we also have to very quickly shout out our two wonderful sponsors, Hell's Half Acre Stadium Goods and Home Field Apparel. We will talk more about them later in the show, but always love to mention both of them and their partnerships up top because they are two incredible companies to work with and we love them very much. Melissa. Jamie. Baseball's back. Whew, gosh, it was good. It, man, let, let, me just, let me just tell you, Saturday... Tell me. I woke up like 8, 8.30. By 9 a.m., I had TCU on my television. You love to see it. And between TCU men's basketball, TCU women's basketball, and TCU baseball, I pretty much nonstop watched TCU sports until like 4 or 5 o'clock. It's a beautiful thing. It was outstanding. Um, and I was so happy to see Frogball back. Uh, they really put us through it this weekend, Jamie. Um, I think you mentioned that they were taking years off your life. Uh, I mm-hmm. told you that the last 10 years aren't that great anyway. Um, so they uh, 
that was a series. That was the thing that happened. It was two, the first two games, especially, well, really all three games were uh, not even nail biters, just absolute total chaos. Uh, but they're three and Mm-hmm. against a really solid Florida Gulf Coast team that had some really elite bats um, up and down the lineup. And I think they showed us, if not revealed some of the issues and some of the concerns, mm-hmm. I think they also showed us that the character and the makeup of this team mentally is really, really elite. And that matters so much in college baseball. It really does. And I think when we go through... <clears throat> And and we we get through the rest of this non-conference schedule. People will be talking about how challenging it was. And I just want to call everyone back to something that I talked with Kirk Sarlos about this fall, and that is his intentionality around scheduling a challenging non-conference slate. Because as he put it, he would much rather find out what his team is made of and what they need to work on before conference play than playing a bunch of games where you feel really good about yourself. You've put up a bunch of big numbers, but then you get into conference play and you aren't ready for the step up mm-hmm. in competition. So Florida Gulf Coast was a very good team last year. They won 42 games. They were top 60 RPI. They did not make the tournament because the A-Sun is a one-bid league and they lost to Lipscomb in the conference championship. But they're not. They're a team that brought a ton of power back and will win a bunch of baseball games in conference this year. And it would not shock me to see them be a tournament team. So... TCU winning this series and and doing it in a sweep fashion was very good in spite of some of the things that we saw that maybe weren't as great about TCU baseball. But I'm withholding full judgment and full like concern at this point because we're three games into a 54-game season. Yeah, I mean, I think that nobody needs to overreact and be like, oh, this team is not going to get through it. But I think it's fair to say that needing – to come back from big deficits all three days, not ideal. Um, not, you know, not having your Friday and Saturday night starters make it through three innings, not ideal. And I think we saw the good and the bad of Zach Morris on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we need to write off the starting pitching staff, but I think it's fair to say, okay, that's an area where we knew there was a lot of new faces. Um, Cole Klecker struggled, not something that I think was expected, but again, against a very good hitting team on a day where the wind was really doing some crazy things to baseball. So yeah. I, I think that kind of a raised eyebrow and a, hmm, this doesn't look like I would want it to look on day one is completely fair, but not a big reason to have overwhelming concern. Now, that being said, your reward for sweeping Florida Gulf Coast is playing Texas State and your reward for whatever happens in Texas State is welcoming in UCLA, who looked really elite in the pitching category, um, albeit against a, a lesser team um, in their opening weekend series. So um, I, I think I think that that we saw some really good stuff um, out of, you know, Klecker and Tole. But, um, you know, I think you talked about it. I know I mentioned it, that it didn't look like they were putting balls where they wanted to. They weren't quite hitting their spots and there wasn't a lot of swing and miss going on. They did have quite a few strikeouts. Um, totally had, I mean, what he struck out the first five guys he faced or something, but, mm-hmm. um, but I, I think that, you know, they were squaring up just about everything they got a bat on. And, and that's not something that you like to see, but it, Kirk, I trust Kirk Starlews. I trust Dave Lawn to, to get those things addressed. And if there's one area where you can expect TCU to improve, it's, it's in pitching. We've seen it every year that Starlews has been on the staff. Um, and incredibly encouraged by the power 
that this team has mm-hmm. all over the lineup, even on Sunday when they when the wind wasn't like blowing balls onto Barry Street the entire day. Yeah, I you know I think um, <clears throat> the the wind has to be taken into account for the first two days for sure. A couple of things that I really enjoyed about this weekend series. One was the power. You know, you had Peyton Chatagnier come in and hit two home runs on Saturday. You had Chase, uh, Chase Brunson, true freshman, come in and hit a couple home runs out. Silva hit a home run. Bowen hit a home run. Obviously, Tolley's big home run to give the Frogs the lead on Saturday afternoon. Um, a lot of really good contact. A lot of balls hit very hard, even ones that didn't leave. Mm-hmm. Um Luke Boyer's got the park. robbed. Luke Boyer's, yeah, I mean, great play by Florida Gulf Coast center fielder on Sunday afternoon that that essentially ended the game after eight innings, which would have been a grand slam for Luke Boyer's if he didn't go up and get it. But, I mean, Chase Brunson hit the ball hard pretty mm-hmm. much all weekend. He had a double on Sunday over the head of the center fielder that was 108 miles an hour off the bat. Um, and so I think that there's a lot of promise about this lineup. Obviously, when you score – what is it? 34 runs in a single weekend. You're going to have a lot to like. Um, but I think that there's a lot of viability, even when the power isn't all the way there because of the way that guys were getting on base. A lot of guys were very patient and working walks. TC only struck out, I think like 14 times all weekend. Um, they were capable of stealing bases. Anthony Silva stole three, Chad Nye stole three. Um, there, so, so we saw a little bit of everything. There were some bunts mixed in, right? Mm-hmm. Brody Green had a really oh, nice drag bunt to lead off the sixth beautiful. inning on Sunday. Luke Boyers had a great Boyers bunt. put down yeah. a beautiful sack bunt to move two guys over. So I, I think it was a really nice weekend to kind of get a couple different flavors of what mm-hmm. TCU's offense is capable of. And that's something that I spent some time talking with TJ Bruce about before the season started was his willingness to be adaptable to the situation and his willingness to say, you know, the game needs a bunt from us right now. We're going to bunt. Hey, the game needs some power. We have plenty of pop in our lineup. Uh, and just whatever the game calls for, he's comfortable with this lineup asking them to do. And I think we got an, an opportunity to see see that up and down the lineup this weekend. Yeah. And, and you know, one of the things we talked about <clears throat> last week in the preview was, you know, this team wasn't going to steal 141 bases. Um, but you talked about there was still good athleticism and speed up and down the lineup. And you made that yeah. point, you know, seeing Chatney steal three bags on Friday night, right? I mean, they they were situationally really intelligent with how they used their aggressiveness on the base path. There were a couple of mistakes that you're going to expect in weekend one, but they seem to not come at the, the worst possible time, which is a little mm-hmm. bit different than TCU historically is, has felt like. Um, but they're able to steal bases. They're able to be aggressive. Um, I, I will say one of the most frightening things I saw all weekend was I think there was a time when, uh, you know, Curtis Byrne was being chased by Peyton Tolley, and I've never seen <laughs> slower movement on the base pass in my entire life. Um, but I, I thought I thought like I was afraid neither one of those guys were going to make it. Those are some big dudes motoring around. Um, but but yeah, I mean, there's definitely this is not a slow team. It's still a very athletic team. Um, and and situationally, there's a lot of those guys that can run run when called upon. Um, I want to talk a little bit. I think the thing to me, well, there, there's two positions that really stood out is like, oh, this is something to pay attention to. Number one is we saw Carson Bowen. Uh, play first twice mm-hmm. and uh, Curtis Byrne uh, catch two days and that you know that first base that that rotation is still a question and then we saw all three third basemen on Sunday afternoon um, Ryder Robinson got got the start uh, both or all three days correct um, and then uh, no he started no, he started Friday started Saturday, Friday, Basier Saturday. got the start Sunday yeah, yeah. Basier got the start and, and you know Ryder struggled defensively playing a position he's never really been asked to play uh, before previously he struggled and he, he looked a little bit 
the, the moment was big for a true freshman. Uh, we've been spoiled by some true freshmen like Anthony Silva, Chase Brunson, guys like that, but it's normal for your opening yep. weekend series to, to the eyes to get a little bit big in the batter's box. Um, I thought, you know, uh, that, T- tell me, did we find our third baseman on Sunday? And and is it is it the guy, or, or is this going to still be a competition for the few, I, first few weeks of the season? You know, I think um, yes and no. So uh, Brody Greenhead, and I've said this a couple times on the podcast. I've written about this. Brody Greenhead, one of the best falls I've ever mm-hmm. seen a TCU baseball player have. I mean, he was elite defensively. His bat was as hot as it could possibly be. Uh, and then he got back from winter break, and things had cooled down considerably, especially at the plate. And that's not necessarily abnormal. Yeah. Um, you know, guys, we see it all the time. They get hot bats for a couple of weeks and they cool off and they get hot, right? Baseball's a, a game of ebbs and flows. Uh, and Brody Green experienced that, I think, to the extreme in the offseason. Yeah. And so by the time it was re- it was time for weekend one, Jack Basier had been hitting the cover off the ball all spring. Ryder Robinson, Kirk Sarlos joked about uh, the week before the season started, you know, he's really, really quiet to the point where sometimes you forget he's there and then he makes a play at third, makes a play at third base or he, um, you know, gets a gets a big hit at the plate or, or executes something really, really well. And you're like, oh, my gosh, yeah, there's Ryder Robinson. And so when it was all said and done, you know, the questions that the staff, the coaching staff had about Jack Basir's defense and the way that Brody Green's bat had cooled off a little bit led them to say, well, let's just give the kid a chance. And they rolled Ryder Robinson out there uh, at third base for Friday and Saturday. And once you roll him out there on Friday, you're not just going to, you're not going to pull him back again on Saturday. You're not going to do that to a kid, especially when he went like, Oh, for four, he had an error, I think on Friday night, maybe two. Um, You're not going to give a kid an opportunity like that. And then immediately just hook him because that, that could kill a kid's confidence. And so you let him, you let him ride it out again on Saturday. He put the ball in a good spot. The wind did a little bit of work too, but he really put the ball in a good spot for his first career hit. He made some decent plays. He looked more comfortable. Uh, but you do have two other guys that have have earned a little bit of time there. And so it made sense on Sunday to go with Basir. You know, he showed you uh, that he's capable of seeing the ball decently uh, at the plate. He hit a couple balls hard right at people. He worked a walk. Um, but, you know, you also saw the challenge with the glove, right? He had two errors in one play. Uh, he had three errors on the day, um, and that's something that they've been trying to work with him on all fall. And so there, there are some things that are holding him back right now. There are some things that are holding Ryder Robinson back right now. And then you've got Brody Green, who came into the game at, in, in the fifth inning on Friday and pretty much almost immediately had like multiple baseballs hit yeah. his direction. Yeah. And he did really, really well uh, in response. And so you have a guy who came in. He played well defensively made some big plays in big moments to keep Florida Gulf coast uh, off the scoreboard a little bit. Uh, He got two hits in one inning as the frogs batted around in the bottom of the sixth. And he really stabilized TCU's lineup in a way uh, that they hadn't seen from that spot in the order or that they hadn't seen from that position on defense yet in the, in the weekend. So uh, I think right now Brody green is probably your front runner to get some more playing time, but I, I don't think they're giving up on Ryder Robinson or Jack this year yet. It would be far too premature to, to do anything drastic like that and just say, all right, this is our dude moving forward forever. Um, I think we're still going to see a mix of all three of those guys, but I think Brody green will play a little bit more prominently than he did on opening weekend. 
Well, and that's that's kind of the, if you want to say negative, that's kind of the negative to the way that TC baseball schedules, right? Is there's not a whole lot of time to let a true freshman who has an incredibly high ceiling, an unbelievably mm-hmm. high ceiling on this baseball team, wherever he, his long-term defensive position ends up being, um, but whose who's floor is a little lower because he's a true freshman and he's going to be a true freshman. But, you know, do you, do you throw him back out there against Texas State? Do you throw him back out there against UCLA? Like that's going to, that's Kirk's, Kirk's going to, struggle right is how do you keep this kid's confidence up keep giving him opportunities because you know how good he can be but also Mm -hmm. make sure that your team is in a good position to win these meaningful games early on in the season um i was super impressed with brody green you know i know he probably doesn't have the the potential at the plate that the other two guys have but he was so johnny on the spot in such a huge position once again you know tcu was in a you know a tie or a a position where florida gulf coast had the opportunity to take the momentum he made both of those uh, throws to third including or to home plate from third including the double play to get um that was uh was that that was Kyer out of the inning or is that Kyer sloan i can't remember who it was in the, uh, in the sixth inning yeah it was Kyer. yeah yeah to get him out of that that you know bases loaded jam uh no outs and i think they surrendered one run in that inning um and then like you said he, he came back in in the the inning where tc made the rally and he led off the inning and he he was one had the last hit of the inning in order to keep tc get tcu momentum on the offensive side of the ball so um it's it's good it's a good problem to have to have three guys that have earned playing time based on their play in the offseason um but i think that all tc fans are probably hopeful that one of those guys really takes ownership of that position and that sarlis is able to consider get the other guys opportunities throughout um you know and in, in some of those maybe lower leverage situations or um just to keep guys fresh for the end of the season as well you know i think it's it's nice to remember you know this time last year david bishop was the starting first baseman yeah. for tc yeah. right and i think he started probably the first three four weeks of the season until cole fontenelle got comfortable playing division one baseball the kid yeah. came up from mclennan you know, had a little bit of a struggle trying to adjust. And then when, when the switch flipped for Cole Fontenelle, boy, did the switch flip. And so I think that there's uh, a level of patience that's required when you're consuming baseball versus football and even basketball to an extent, just because of the, the length of the season, Mm -hmm. the number of games that you're playing, we, especially uh, TCU fans, I think have been so conditioned by the importance of every single football game because for 25 years TCU football has not been allowed to make a mistake Mm -hmm. or it's death to your whole season. You can't lose a game. You can't fumble a football. You can't throw a pick. You can't load up a touchdown because everybody that's watching you is looking for a reason to punish you is I feel like the mentality that TCU football fans have had for two and a half decades at this point, we got to let go of that a little bit when it comes to to watching baseball, because baseball is a just inherently a game of failure. You are going to fail more often than you are going to succeed, especially when you're hitting a baseball, right? Ted Williams, one of the best baseball players ever failed more than he succeeded at the plate. That's just the nature of the sport. And so when we're talking about the development of young players, three games, two games is not even remotely close to enough of a sample size to make a definitive call on what his career is going to be like. And that's coming, you know, I mean, TCU fans have been absolutely spoiled. You nailed it, Melissa. TCU fans have been spoiled by the play of true freshmen. You mentioned Chase Brunson and Anthony Silva. Well, 
How about Carson Bowen and Cole Klecker and Ben Abelt? And oh, by the way, a guy named Braden Taylor who started his yeah. second game as a freshman and Elijah, Elijah Nunez, Nunez who yeah. started as a freshman, right? there, There's a history of young players coming into this program and having success right away. But even then, you know, I just named four guys off of that freshman class last year. Can you name the other 13 guys in the freshman class? Right? Like there, there's a larger group of kids who are still developing, who are taking their time to get right, to get comfortable, and they're going to have opportunities to succeed when Kirk Sarlos and TJ Bruce and Dave Lawn and John Delora and the rest of the coaching staff feel like they're ready. And that's part of the beauty of, of where T, uh, TCU baseball is in the sport of college baseball is right now. I think there is a beautiful blend of being able to get very talented kids out of high school on your roster while also being able to supplement with an appropriate number of kids from the transfer portal so that you're not rushing anybody. And you can dictate, hey, we've got a class that's coming in that I think is going to be pretty capable of hitting the ground running from a high school to a college perspective. So let's take three or four less guys out of the portal this year and just really put more pressure on these freshmen to be successful. Or, hey, you know, we got some kids that are probably a year away. Let's go grab one or two more arms out of the portal and give those young guys some time to develop and adjust so that we don't crush them with responsibility that they're not ready for right out of the gate. And so you see this ebb and flow in college baseball, and you've seen it in the way Kirk Sarlos has constructed his roster over the last couple of years. And so when you don't see freshmen play right away, that's normal. When you see a freshman come in and, and struggle, that's normal. Chase Brunson is not doing something that's normal for a true yeah. freshman, Yeah. right? Hitting 600, walking four times, not striking out in his first 14 plate appearances or whatever it was, that's, that's the anomaly, <laughs> That's the outlier. Ryder Robinson is the normal, is the expectation. And so I think that when we approach watching baseball, there's an opportunity to maybe adjust our expectations, especially for young players, and just kind of take a step back and let the season play out and see where see where things go because there's so much time in baseball for things to get figured out. It's going to be so fascinating to watch how college baseball kind of develops as NIL and the portal kind of leak more into that sport to the level that it has in baseball and football, especially for a school like TCU, which is always going to be in a disadvantage in college baseball because of the cost of tuition, mm. you know, and yeah. until they raise the scholarship limits for baseball, which is something that absolutely needs to happen and is a topic of conversation annually. Um, there, There's always going to be a little bit more of a challenge to keep kids that don't play their first and maybe their <clears throat> second year um, on on a, a college roster at a private institution, you know, one of these you know seventy thousand dollar a year schools, because mm -hmm. most of these guys are paying quite a bit out of pocket. But baseball is also super interesting because it's a you know you've got three years guaranteed that you're going to play in college unless you're Anthony Silva um, and you age out a little bit early. Um, and then with the MLB shrinking from forty rounds to twenty, right? Um, mm -hmm. There's less spot, so there's less high school kids getting drafted theoretically. And then there's less guys leaving college as soon as they're able to theoretically, because there's fewer spots for them out in um, the major league pipeline. So it's, I mean, that's, that's the new era of, of college athletics, right? Is it's roster management. Roster management often means keeping 18 to 22 year old kids who by nature are not patient and who have been the best player that they've ever seen pretty much in their entire area for most of their lives and telling them, hey, you're really, really good, but you're not ready yet and getting that family to buy in. And that's one thing where I think that TCU has a distinct advantage with their coaching staff, the communication. I mean, we hear this, like we've, we've both talked to 
dozens of parents over the years and just the honesty the communication the forthrightness the the plan that is laid out for these families from day one i think they that these kids show up in fort worth knowing exactly what they're getting themselves into and that if you're good enough you will play but if you're not we're going to work really hard to develop you so that you have an opportunity to do so at the next level and if we don't think you're that guy then you're going to portal out and, and head down the road to another university and we're going to go in the portal and bring someone in that we think is better than you so but there doesn't seem to be a lot of game playing out of that staff and out of that dugout and I think that that's really mm-hmm. helpful when you're trying to con- conduct a roster that can't isn't just built to win games, but it's built to kind of keep grounding that culture that's so important to success on a very long season um, with a lot of games and a, that really wears you down. Um, and that's something that I think Sarlis has shown time and time again he can do effectively. He has. And, and you talk about the intentionality and the forthrightness of the staff. They spent two full days at the end of fall camp having one-on-one meetings with every single player on the roster talking about, Hey, here's what we saw from you this fall. Here's what we thought you did really well. Here's what we really need to see you work on. And here's where we kind of see you carving out a role this year. And those are hard conversations to have, especially for guys who the conversation is we haven't seen enough from you yet. Right. Or we think we need to redshirt you this year. Those aren't easy conversations. I think on top of all of this too, and this is something that I had a conversation with a uh, conversation about with our, our good friend Parker Fleming, is the redshirt rule in college baseball and college basketball is detrimental to the sport right now yeah, because terrible. you cannot play at all without burning your shirt. And this isn't a tangent that I fully want to get on on this show, but I will just suffice to say I think that it would go a long way to developing some of these kids who maybe need. 15 innings, 25 innings as a freshman to either say I'm capable or maybe I should check somewhere else out and not have burned an entire year of eligibility learning that life lesson. Um, And so I think that there's an opportunity for the NCAA to align the redshirt rules in college basketball and college baseball more with what we've seen in football the last Mm -hmm. decade where a kid can get experience. It doesn't cost him any clock time. And he and the school are all better off for it because they have a better understanding of what that kid is capable of. It just seems like everything in college baseball takes about three years longer than it should to get instituted. But I think that's absolutely a conversation that needs to be had. And same mm-hmm. with basketball, too. Jamie Dixon's talked about that quite a bit. Um, Jamie, super small sample size, obviously, just three games. We're not going to know anything by the end of next weekend either. But what are a couple of things that you are looking for the next four games with a really good Texas State team coming to down? And then, of course, UCLA, um, one of the true blue bloods of the sport um, and, and a perennial power coming out of the West Coast. Yeah, let's start with the Texas State game because I'm really looking forward to this one. They are rolling a guy out there who TCU saw last year, right-handed pitcher Tony Roby. He was uh, a junior last year. He's a senior this year. He pitched in Texas State's 8-4 to win down there at Texas State last year. Um, Through four innings, struck out a couple, only gave up one earned run. Kind of held TCU's bats at bay. That was in the early March point of the season where TCU's lineup was still struggling a little bit. They were having a hard time adjusting. Um, but I don't know that we're going to see that same kind of challenge from TCU's lineup this year, just because there's a, a significantly larger amount of veteran presence. And so the, the frogs in, in Texas state did have a fall scrimmage. They played like 18 innings. I went down and sat there and, and watched that whole thing. 
Um, and TCU scored, I think, like 25, 30 runs or something. Peyton Tolley hit one of the loudest home runs I've ever heard. Um, and so I think it's an opportunity for TCU to kind of find some stability pitching wise when you've got a kid like Ben Hampton, who's going to be your starter on Tuesday. He's made 41 big 12 starts in his career. You can't teach experience is something that Kirk Sarlos always says. Um, this is an opportunity for Hampton to kind of get right with, get the starting pitching, right. Kind of on behalf of the whole unit. So I'd really like to see him give TCU a quality start get five, six innings into the game, not give up a bunch of runs, show a little bit more consistency with working the strike zone. Um, I would also like to see TCU consistently put guys on base, not just in, hey, a seven-run eighth yeah. or a six-run sixth, but, hey, TCU's consistently putting some pressure on these opposing pitchers and defenses to be aware of their surroundings. So that's what I'd like to see against Texas State, especially when you consider the fact that Outside of Hampton, you're going to probably see some faces that you haven't seen yet this year in the starting lineup. Sarlos said on Sunday that we can probably expect Sam Myers to start in the outfield. He's another freshman with a lot of potential. I wouldn't be shocked to see a guy like Gabe Miranda get a start at first base while either Curtis or Carson get the day off. Um, and so we'll, we'll see what the lineup ends up looking like on Tuesday, but there are probably going to be some, some new faces in there. And then against UCLA, all right, well, we know what the, we know what the challenges were in week one. Starting pitching didn't give didn't give you enough as far as innings is concerned. The bullpen was up and down at times. Um, the bats were hot and cold, mostly hot, some cold moments. Um, and so I think you're looking for more consistency. Can can Peyton Tolley and Cole Klecker get you into the fourth inning? Can they get you into the fifth inning? Can Zach Morris limit the walks, limit the wild pitches, and and kind of pound the zone a little bit more? Because when his fastball is on, it's really really on. And so pound the zone a little bit more, limit the walks, get deeper into the game. You've started to identify maybe some of these bullpen roles now with Zach Coyer pitching really well, Brayden Sloan pitching really well, Hunter Hodges getting you out of a jam, Ben Abelt getting his first save of the season. You're starting to define some roles in the bullpen as well. So can we get more clarity on what those roles are? I think is another opportunity against UCLA. But realistically, I think the biggest thing that TCU can do is just go out and get two of three. You know, it's a good UCLA team. They swept Gonzaga. Gonzaga's not the Gonzaga of old. They're they're picked like fifth in the WCC this year, but still UCLA asserted themselves. They looked really good doing it. Can TCU play up a little bit to a different level of competition than they played in week one? It's not saying FGCU is bad, but UCLA but, is better. Yeah. And, and so can TCU play up a little bit more than they played in week one. I don't know that we need to see every question answered or every problem solved, but progress, right? That's the goal in week two is progress. Well, and what I want to see, you know, is it's such a luxury to have a guy that's made 41 big 12 starts be your Tuesday night starter, but you can mm -hmm. just about guarantee that Ben Hampton is going to be trying to work his way into <clears> that <throat> weekend conversation. If the opportunity, if one of these three that's guys, good. that's great. Right. So yeah. I, I want to see this kid come in and look like a guy who started 41 big 12 games mm -hmm. and doesn't necessarily have to be dominant in week one, but he needs to be in control. And I think that that's yeah. was the biggest concern um, with the starting pitching over the weekend is there were innings where those guys just were not in control of the pace or the flow of the game. And that's what you need your starting, your experienced veteran starting pitcher to do. Um, mm -hmm. And then for the weekend, you know, we've talked so much about the power and the timely hitting and the ability to put crooked numbers up. UCLA's pitching staff is a far departure 
from Florida Gulf Coast, who is yep. abysmal. Um, and that's that's why they weren't a tournament team a year ago. They hit the snot out of the ball, but they couldn't pitch themselves out of a wet paper bag some days, right? Like that that's their obvious weakness. If they're going to score a ton of runs, they're not going to stop anybody from scoring a ton of runs. So can TCU still look as effective on the scoreboard against a really elite pitching staff? UCLA gave up seven runs on Friday night against Gonzaga and then gave up three combined over the next two games. So again, Gonzaga lineup is not the TCU lineup, but good pitching does tend to travel. And that's I'm going to be very interested to see how good this lineup, especially the younger guys, look against um, a much better much more elite Mm -hmm. pitching staff than they've seen so far so it's a great week it's a great second weekend of college baseball um, to be able to tune into that so I'm looking forward to it like you said we're not going to know everything by the end of the game on Sunday but it's nice to take a big step forward and have another measuring stick opportunity for this team that has such high expectations on it all season you're right you're right and that's that's all we that's all we can do at this point is just see the progress, identify the progress. And uh, just a quick note to kind of wrap up baseball talk here. I mentioned it in my um, pitching preview last week. Eight players made starts on the weekends last year hmm. for TCU. TCU used a, a six different combinations of weekend starters over the course of last season. So just because these were the three arms that started this weekend does not mean that they're going to be the guaranteed three arms that you go with every weekend from here on out. There are still opportunities to be had, spots to be won. Um, I think Ben Hampton's going to show you what he's got on Tuesday. We've seen what we've seen from Zach Coyer, who, you know, that's how Cole Klecker earned his way into the starting rotation last year was by being an, an absolute stud out of the bullpen. So if Zach Coyer keeps that up, who knows? Uh, Caden Parker, I think, now that he's got a start under his belt, hadn't pitched since 2022, that's going to that's gonna go a long way to his confidence. Same with Andrew Moziello, same with Louis Rodriguez, who got hurt late last season and didn't finish the year. So, you know, you're starting to see some of these guys ramp back up, and I think the competition's going to carry at least another month into the season before we fully have confidence in what these guys' roles are. So uh, I'm just I'm, I'm going to enjoy the ride for the first month of the year, and it doesn't mean I won't point out things that I see, but I think it's it's a good opportunity for us to just observe and learn and see how guys grow in the first month of the season. Yeah, I, I have no problem with people being appropriately critical. I, I think it's fine to ask questions. I, I hate that if you question anything, you're automatically a hater. But said we don't know Jack yet, so let's let's yeah. let's ask questions, but be aware the answer probably isn't going to come. Mm-hmm. You know what? I never question Jamie Plunkett. What's that, Melissa Trebowasser? How? good like how much money i'm gonna spend with hell's half acre um they yeah because it's all of it it's all of it they i like i saw these be- we talked I, I sent you a text message and asked what we got to do to get i, I need oh, one of those, those, bats. those bats i need one of those bats sitting behind me for the podcast uh, they are absolutely gorgeous um just beautiful beautiful construction i also the the new frogs block hoodie like performance hoodie i think it's an oakley hoodie which beautiful thing. Um, yeah. Just just what they're doing out of Hell's Half Acre is absolutely unbelievable stuff. Everything is so high quality. I wore my frog ball. We got a free dress day on Thursday at school. So I wore my frog ball uh, sweatshirt in honor of the season starting. That thing is as comfortable a sweatshirt as I own. Uh, but it's it's really cool because it's not just producing really good looking, really high quality stuff, but it's it's created for horn frogs. And every single sale that, that Hell's Half Acre makes has a direct impact on TC student athletes. There's that great Carson Bowen line that they just 
dropped as well. Uh, check out all of their TCU gear, polos, shirts, headwear, home goods, baseball bats that you didn't know that you need, but once you see, you won't be able to live without um, all of the stuff that you need for game day. And I feel like what Hell's Half Acre does almost better than anybody is TCU baseball. Uh, there's a real mm-hmm. love for that sport and, and the way that they support that, not just with um, really good looking gear and really like tailgate appropriate stuff, but uh, directly back to the student athletes, I think is really cool. So we're very fortunate to be uh, to have Hell's Half Acre as a sponsor, um, super fired up uh, for their new lineup and highly encourage you guys to go to Hell's Half Acre dot com dot com um to grab your game day gear especially for those cold days that we still have ahead of us it looked really miserable out there this weekend jamie friday and saturday were very cold sunday was perfect sunday was mid to high 50s it was gorgeous out but i mean friday night i was physically shaking shivering while we were doing post-game stuff and then sarlos after saturday's game he didn't have his jacket. He had like taken his jacket off halfway through the game. He came out afterwards and I'm setting up my camera and stuff. And he's like looking around and he goes, mm, I'm going to grab my jacket real quick. I'm like, all right, that sounds great. And then he goes, no, you were shivering yesterday. I can, I can, I can tough it out. And then he goes, "Never mind, It's way too cold. And he went and grabbed a jacket. And it, it was, him. it was very cold. Yeah. It on, looks pretty on Friday and Saturday, but, but you know, you know, you know who wasn't cold on Saturday. You. Oh no, I was freezing. We're having tornado warnings here in Northern California. Oh no. Jameer Nelson Jr. <laughs> was not cold. Uh, we talked a lot about TCU basketball, some of the deficiencies. We we dug deep into the bag um, with Coach Speak, especially on mm-hmm. the defensive end. Um, and then we watched on Saturday. And the things that we talked about were, um, you know, post touches, getting the ball inside out, spraying it to the shooters, um, and then helping the helper on the weak side. TC went up into Kansas State, um, one of the toughest places in the Big 12 to play, even though that, that team has kind of fallen off a little bit once conference play started. And tried really really hard to give that game away a couple of times tried really really hard um in credit to kansas state kept fighting back jerome tang Mm. is a very very good basketball coach um but uh, he's a little whiny but that's fine Mm -hmm. uh we got one of those too it's fine um but but ultimately uh jameer nelson jr became the first player i've ever seen hit a game-winning shot by being fouled by his teammate um (laughs) just uh, but but Micah PV could I that man he could have he could have been. It was the one time. The one time. The one time he was out of position the entire yeah. game. So yeah, I'm he he was absolutely unbelievable. I mean, the shot was miraculous. Like it, it really just was an incredible athletic adjustment in air as he was getting his legs clipped out from under him. But mm-hmm. um, as as huge as the shot was, as much as this, we want to celebrate Jameer Nelson Jr. knocking down that clutch shot, Micah PV really announced himself in the second half of that game. Um, I think he had an 8-0 scoring run that included, a personal scoring run that included two blocks. Um, He was huge on both ends of the floor. Uh, Really just did everything. And as good as we have seen him be at times, I think that what we saw Saturday, especially in late game situations with TC needed it most, is why I'm 100% convinced this dude's getting drafted uh, this Mm -hmm. spring. Like, I I have no doubt. He is, his shot is getting better, but he is a picture-perfect NBA athlete, especially what he can do defensively. Career high, 26 points, nine rebounds, three blocked shots, three steals, two turnovers. Yeah. Just he did it all. He did, did it, it incredibly well. He defended their leading score pretty much the entire night and did so uh, willingly. And the thing that I love about Micah Peavy, and this is something that he and I have talked about pretty much ever since he stepped on campus, he loves playing defense. Mm-hmm. And that shows, right? And and we talk a lot about how good of a defender he is, and he's one of the best defenders in the league, maybe one of the best defenders in the country. I truly believe that, that when he is on his A game, he's one of the best defenders in the country. It's It comes from a, a deep, deep desire of his 
to never get scored on. Yeah. He doesn't, he hates it when guys score on him. And there are just some guys in the league and, and maybe some guys on TCU's roster right now who don't care, who don't mind getting scored on. Micah Peavy despises it. And it shows when he plays defense. And I, I think that he is starting ever so slowly to rub off on some of his teammates in that regard. Um, they locked down at several times in that game against Kansas State and just made it impossible for the Wildcats to do anything on offense. It was a beautiful thing to see, especially in light of Ernest Uday going down with an ankle injury with about nine and a half minutes left to go in the first half. Quick update on him. Not sure if he's going to play on Tuesday yet or not. He got evaluated on Monday for that ankle injury. They're going to wait and see how he responds to some treatment on Tuesday before making a decision on whether or not he's going to be able to go. So if he's not able to go, that's a really tall task about going into Texas tech and and getting a win. Granted Texas tech might be without Warren Washington. So both teams might be down their starting center. Um, We'll see how things play out, but Ernest Uday, regardless of the, the numbers that you see on his stat sheet from any given, any given day gives you a lot Mm -hmm. when he's in position to rebound, block shots, those kinds of things. So He just takes up a lot of space defensively, mm-hmm. and, he, and especially when you're playing a team like Texas Tech that has such exceptional guard play, being able to just take up space in the paint and keep those guards from penetrating so easily, keeping them from making plays once they get into the air. Uh, I think yeah. that Uday is so exceptional about that. And TCU doesn't have a guy that can do that behind him. They've got guys that do other things really, really well and can mm-hmm. be really effective, but it definitely changes the way they're going to play, and they, they have to become a little bit more of an offensively successful team if, if Uday can't go. Yes, I, I, and I, I say all of that to also note that Asama Mustafa had a great game against mm-hmm. Kansas State. Xavier Cork looked very yeah. good at times against Kansas State. Yeah. He, he showed a little bit of his ball handling, you know, create for yourself offense down in the low block. He made free throws. He got offensive rebounds. He was active defensively. Those guys, I think, combined for 11 points and, and eight rebounds. That's okay from your center spot when you've got wings like Eman and Micah PV and guards that are capable of getting you buckets. So uh, really it is about the defense and the rebounding. And without Ernest Uday, there's going to be a lot more responsibility on Mustafa and Cork. And even if TCU wants to go really small, Jacoby Cole's playing that five mm-hmm. a little bit as well. Well, this is why you've been playing 10 guys, right? Like this is mm-hmm. this is what we talk about TCU's depth. That this time of year, everybody's banged up. Everybody's missing guys. TCU's been very fortunate in the injury department. You know, Cole's obviously missed that stretch. So a couple other guys have been banged up. But this is where that depth can really start to, to shine through in the last couple weeks of the season. Um, if, if TCU can have some guys that have a little bit fresher legs than their mm-hmm. opponents. I, you know, what? what's their five five games left, I think, in, in Big 12 play? Is that or six games left? Something like that. Um, and, and you're in a really good position. I mean, the Frogs are, are currently tied for fifth with Texas Tech. They hold the tiebreaker pending Tuesday night's result. Um, but it, when you look at kind of how we felt about this team going into Big 12 play, how we felt the second week of Big 12 play, um, to, to say that they basically control their own destiny when it comes to finishing in the top four of what is inarguably the best college basketball conference in the country, um, it's a really good position to be in. And, mm-hmm. you know, they're they're probably two wins away from being a lock for the NCAA tournament in the regular season. Um, you know, three wins puts them in a position to, to be a, a very favorable seed um, as well. So it's, it's going to be interesting the last couple of weeks to see how they finish. They're playing 
for the most part, consistently really good basketball. It does not get easier. There's some really tough games remaining on the schedule. They have to go to Lubbock. They have to go to BYU. They've got Baylor coming to their house with revenge on their minds. I mean, it, it's not going to be an easy run, but there are winnable games on the schedule here. And, and barring a complete and total meltdown, knock on wood, um, this team is in a really good position um, to have not just a, a solid seed when it comes to March Madness, but to be playing with a lot of confidence and the ability to play a lot of different ways. And that's what I'm going to be watching for these next couple of weeks. Yes. So they've got Texas Tech on Tuesday night in Lubbock at 8 p.m. That's that tip off. Uh, Then they come home Saturday. They host Cincinnati. You know they want that game after the way that they lost up there. So that's an opportunity for a little bit of a get back game. Baylor comes on a Monday night, quick turnaround at 8 p.m. Then they go to BYU, a team that I think they match up with really, really well. But make no mistake about it, BYU is a legitimate top 25 25 team in the country. And then they travel to West Virginia, a place that they've never never won. won. (laughs) Never It's the last place in the conference that they haven't won a road game at. And then they finish off the season back home against Central Florida. I mean, you look at that schedule and you think, oh, four and two. Like, that's attainable. And it is attainable. But but two and four is also attainable if you're not careful. And so this is an opportunity for them to to level out some of their, their bad play, be consistently good on both ends of the court and 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 make a statement tcu basketball has not had a winning record in conference since they were in the whack and so it's time to change that and i think this is the the team to go out and do it i'd be ecstatic with three and three of these last six and i think that's a very reasonable expectation um but like you said that the margin between four and two and two and four is hair thin almost hairline thin and and we've seen how quickly things can change if we want to kind of flip the topic over to the women's basketball side Mm -hmm. and oh man how good was it to see madison connor just immediately look like madison connor Oh, big old knee brace on my leg. Doesn't matter. I'm going to drop 31 and we're going to be Cincinnati. Hasn't yeah. played in what, like six weeks or something? Weeks. Five, six weeks. Yeah. It's only been, it feels like forever. Three or four, sure. yeah. It feels like that long for Mark Campbell as well. But yeah, mm-hmm. for her to come back out um, to, to spur that team on to a much needed win. Sedona Prince is getting closer to coming back. Um, that team that, that looked like it was going to be an absolute darling in a Cinderella has held on to the life raft for dear life for the last three, four weeks. And maybe getting people back at the right time to to make a little uh, Big 12 tournament run? This is my question, Melissa, because I don't know if the runway is long enough anymore, right? They're 3-11 and 11 in Big 12 play. They're 16-9 and nine overall. And they've only got four regular season games mm-hmm. left. So you're talking about at BYU, which is a Big 12 game they've already won that was fully healthy for TCU. And they they... I mean, they beat BYU 81 to 67. They're here against Houston. They're here against Texas Tech. They sh- they they almost pulled off a crazy upset at yeah. Lubbock. And then they go to West Virginia, a team that just beat them by 25 yeah. to finish out the season. So, I mean, if you get all four of those and you're 7 and 11, and then maybe you win two, three games in the Big 12 tournament, you're talking about being a bubble team. But I, you know, you gotta, you gotta get them all at this. It's your yeah. playoffs pretty much start right now. Yeah, you. I think, I think TCU women's basketball. I think the only realistic way TCU basketball gets an invite to the March Madness is by winning the Big Twelve tournament, which would be an incredibly mm-hmm. tall task. But to me, I think for Mark Campbell in year one of this era, with everything this program has dealt with, if they can just win enough to be an NIT team, 
I think that could be a real positive boost for for the program, right? Just to show, hey, like because again, you you're thinking towards the future. I mean, you're not getting Sedona Prince back for an extra year. You're not getting mm-hmm. Jay Nones back for an extra year. I mean, barring some miraculous decision by by basketball, but you just have to start you want to win today, but you also want to show the the blueprint for the future. And mm-hmm. Campbell's so good at working the portal and he's such a good recruiter and he's been a good high school recruiter and he has managed this in a way that I think few programs could have done like done so well um, that I think that there's a lot of positive momentum around a program that's really struggled. And he's he's looked the part of a guy that can like he looks like a wartime general, right? You talk about your peacetime generals and your wartime generals. Uh, he's looked like a, a really solid wartime general. This, this mm-hmm. dude has been in the trenches and has kept this program afloat and that team never has given up. I mean, they fight tooth and nail through every single game no matter what the score is um and so you know i want i just want to see them have some success and and to to have some good feelings and some wins around the program i think that'd be super helpful just for so many reasons going forward um and you also want to want to see um just the the overall uh you want to see madison connor play well because she's gonna be the heart and soul of your team next year you know Mm -hmm. you want to see sonona prince get back out there just just because of of what she represents for college basketball um so i I have absolutely no idea what to expect over the next couple weeks i have no you know postseason wise i I don't know how much you're talking about that in the locker room but i think it's about you know that the runway may be too short but you got to keep building the runway so that you can fly the plane for next season right and Mm -hmm. i think that's kind of what mark campbell's got to have an eye on yeah, and I'm super excited to see too how how Sydney Harris closes out the rest of this year because she's been a lights out shooter for uh, TCU in the absence of other folks. I think she's really carved out a nice role for herself because when she got here from Central Michigan, she was one of those players that you knew what she could provide to you offensively, but the defense was a liability, and I think she would even acknowledge that. So the the lengths that she has gone to to be a, a at least average defender. Yeah. And and she hasn't really sacrificed much of her yeah. offense to do that. I mean, she dropped twenty seven against Cincinnati. She hit like six or seven threes, and I think she went she went on like her own personal eleven and zero scoring run yeah. in in the second half of that game. So, what we've seen from her, paired with what we've seen from Madison Connor, you have a freshman point guard in Vic Flores who's capable you've got Haley Cavender coming in as probably your starting point guard next year and I mean she was the leading scorer on an elite eight team last season right so you've got a lot of talent coming in just from that one player as well this is something that is probably not this is a program that's probably not too far away yeah right You're, you're talking maybe one or two pieces away from really being able to make a legitimate run and uh, that's, I think, something that Mark Campbell has done a really good job of keeping at the forefront is, hey, we're not going to sacrifice the overall vision of the program and the overall path that we're on because we're in the shit right now. And so we're going to do what we need to do to move forward. But the goal is still the goal, even if the goal is happening next year instead of this year. Yeah, I, I've been super impressed with just the management of everything that he's dealt with. Um, and, and like you said, there's a lot of talent coming in. You lose some really like, you know, generational type talent, talented mm-hmm. players, unfortunately, um, to, you know, graduation or whatever. But uh, there's no reason to think that that they can't, they can't look as good as early as they did this year, a year mm-hmm. from now. And then hopefully this injury luck is an aberration because Lord have mercy, you just can't. Uh, you, you Lord just, have mercy. Yeah. Um, Lord have mercy. But hey, Melissa, guess what? What? Spring football is right around the corner. That, yeah, and if you want to talk about mercy and new beginnings and new opportunities, TCU football has that chance 
right now. Spring practice starts on March 23rd. The spring game is April 27th. There's some media availability this week with a couple guys, Josh Hoover and, and a couple other players and Sonny Dykes, and it's about to ramp up and pretty excited to uh, get into football and football content. Yeah, it's, it's crazy to me that we've been on this podcast for 50 minutes and have yet to say the words TCU football, but I think that's just such a testament to what it's like having a school that does a little bit of everything well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we, still have, we still have to talk about tennis, who played for national championship on the day we're recording this on Monday. It's crazy. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's I've been paid just... I've had a one-eye tuned to TCU offseason stuff. Yep. They've had a couple of, of live workouts that they've put on social media, which, is, again, like my Gary Patterson-trained mind can absolutely not believe that TCU is broadcasting live workouts. It's insane. Um, I've, I've been excited about some of what we've seen. We've seen the leaders that we expected step up and really take an active role. Guys like Marcel Brooks has been very vocal in the workouts that we've seen. We see a lot of Bug Clark on, on social media doing the right things. I've been happy to see Kaz Kazadi look and sound like Kaz Kazadi. It seemed like he took a little bit of a step back last year that that he wasn't maybe as enraged all the time as we're used to seeing him, but we're getting a lot more Kazadi content and this offseason and, and it looks like he's back uh fired up and, and and getting things back on track because I think so much of that accountability starts in these offseason workouts, right? And the accountability was a lot of what was lacking a season ago. Um and toughness, right? That that was the biggest complaint is this team just didn't have the intangibles that you need to win those close games like they did a season ago. So uh, there's gonna it's going to be fun to watch these position battles throughout uh, spring ball. I mean, I think the offensive line, linebacker, and the secondary, as well as um, running back, are going to be kind of the four big ones. I'm really excited to see Josh Hoover. I'm, I'm glad that he's got media availability this week. I'll be excited to see. He won't say anything because he's too well-trained for that. But um, it, He's gone to the Mark, Mark, uh, yeah, Cohen, the Mark Cohen School, of, school. of Media Relations. Yeah, saying so. absolutely nothing, yeah, uh, which is great. But, but you know, I think that that one thing we saw from him a year ago was how well the team responded to him. Um, Mm -hmm. I I think he's got those, like, I don't want to say the Max Duggan intangibles, but he really does seem to have, he carries himself with that type of uh, just uh, respect amongst his teammates. And they really bought into him. He's got a lot to prove too. I mean, I know we were all really excited about the numbers that he put up, but um, he's, he's got a lot to prove and a lot to work on. And I don't think that Ken Seals is going to be much of a competition, but I think just having a veteran guy who's seen a little bit of everything and played at a high level, um, with you know various amounts of success will be really good for him in that quarterback room and and I think Ken Seals will will push him to be great. I'm excited to see some of these transfers. I'm really excited for Nana. I think he's going to be just from what he does on the field, but what he does in the locker room is going to be a huge impact. Um, so yeah, it's it's fun to it's fun to have football be around the corner as far as actual kind of pads hitting going on, and I think that it'll be interesting to see as things start to leak out over that course what we see that's different than it was a year ago. You know, I I think uh, the thing I'm looking forward to the most is what does this defense look like under Andy Avalos? How aggressive is it actually going to be? Mm. You know, we've, we've talked kind of theory this off season about the stud and the spur hybrid positions in his defense about being four down linemen. And we've seen through the portal, they've essentially fully reconstructed the secondary. Um, They brought in some defensive linemen. You mentioned Nana, um, they also brought in a kid from Tulane, right? So like there, there are some opportunities I think for, um, uh, for, for people who are, are paying attention to the program to really get a glimpse of what things can look like, especially on the defensive side of the mm-hmm. football. 
we've got a year of Kendall Bryles as the offensive coordinator under our belt now. We kind of know what to expect from that offense. I'm sure we'll see some wrinkles and some new things in 2024 that we didn't see in 2023, but we have a general understanding of how he wants to operate on the offensive side of the ball. But Andy Avalos is still a big question mark. And, and so what we get to see this spring is going to be really important um, because we're also going to, we're not only going to learn more about scheme, but we're going to learn about what roles guys are being asked to step into. Mm-hmm. Namdi Obiezor is another kid that we're going to get to talk to this week. I'm very excited to hear, you know, his thoughts on what he's learning about this defense so far, because I think he's a really intelligent guy uh, who has, is probably going to have some opportunity at that spur hybrid position because he's a converted safety playing linebacker. So really excited to hear from him, get some more insight into this defense and see how installation goes this spring. Cause that's going to go a long way to summer workouts and fall camp. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's, you know, I said, we've got a lot to keep us occupied between now and then, but sure it's, do. it's always fun to have spring football to look forward to. And I'm just trying to figure out how early is too early to book my uh, big 12 media days trip to <laughs> Vegas. So also Bellagio is the official hotel. Yes. Come on. You mm-hmm. know, like, listen, Brett Yormark, he does not miss. The man does well, not miss. I feel like it's a consolation for the fact that we were in Narnia for the Big 12 basketball tournament last year. Media seating was in literal outer space. But you know what never misses, Melissa? Not one single stinking time. That's home field apparel. You're repping the shirt. I'm repping a hoodie. Head over to homefieldapparel.com. Type in the code FROGSIN15, F-R-O-G-S-I-N-1-5. That'll get you 15% off your first purchase, 10% off of every purchase following for some of the softest hoodies, softest t-shirts, the joggers, Melissa, I saw you, you took a big fall in your joggers. It was so bad. Shout out to Stefa for sending me some joggers that she had never worn Wow, for free. Massive. I, pay, well, I paid it, for some pretzels, but that, I mean, that, but like, look, yeah, because I'm wearing them right now. Even so. if Sefa isn't going to send you, our loyal listener, a free pair of joggers, you can use the code FROGSIN15 to get 15 or maybe just 10% off of said joggers. They are incredibly comfortable. I'm not wearing mine right now because I think they're in the washer because I wore them like eight days in a row because it's been freezing cold in Fort Worth. So yeah. get yourself some joggers, get yourself a hoodie, get yourself a dad hat for those watching on the YouTube channel, um, home field apparel frogs in 15, get yourself some good stuff for you or for the family. Make it happen. Make it happen. Uh, TCU almost made it happen today only to fall mm. just short in the national indoor national championship would have been a three peat for the horn frogs, uh, up against Ohio state, just an absolutely stacked Ohio yeah. state tennis team full of some veterans, uh, frogs jumped out to a three, nothing lead, taking the doubles point, took courts one and two, um, and, and battled, I mean, just battled on seeds three through six. Um, but Ohio state was just a little too strong. I don't know much about tennis. Mm-hmm. I don't understand a whole lot about tennis, but there was some rumors going around the internet that Ohio State may have uh, kind of cheated their lineup a little bit. And it's not it's not cheating, but it's kind of cheating. It's like golf rules. Like, you're not supposed to do that and drop some of their better players to more mm-hmm. winnable matches, which if they did that, I think it's asterisk championship and they should they should not count it. But um, I don't know what's happening. I just know Dave Redini might be... If he's not the best coach on TCU's campus, he's in the conversation. Um, I, I think that that program, the fact that he's doing what he's doing in Fort Worth, Texas at TCU is pretty unbelievable. Um, mm-hmm. This is a team that consistently 
is playing for national championships indoors and outdoors. It's, you yeah. know, that's, a, that's winning big 12 titles against really stacked competition. Um, just another really impressive day for or weekend really for this team in getting to the national championship game, despite losing some really, really good players a year ago. Um, yeah. And uh, unfortunate loss, but, but man, you don't get to win them every year and they sure do play for them every year. It feels like. It would be nice to win them every year and, yeah. and winning three in a row would have been pretty sweet. Um, I, I did watch most of this, what most of the match today, uh, Jake Fernley, I think had so one of the good. most dominant performances I've ever so seen. Six, one, six, zero, just absolutely cruised through his match. Um, but, uh, you know, the, they, Ohio state did do a little gamesmanship with their lineup. They dropped one of their top guys down to the sixth court. Um, Tommy Jurosek gave him pretty much yeah. everything he could handle. Like he, he battled and battled and battled, uh, was the second to last, um, court to finish ended up being Ohio state's third point. And Louis Maxted just really ran out of steam yeah. there at the end against a guy who he beat in 2022 or I guess 23, maybe in the semifinal against Ohio state to get TCU to the indoor championship. These guys have had uh, a long history and Louis got the better of him last year. He got the better of Louis this year. Sometimes it's just the way things break. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot to like about this men's tennis team. They are pretty deep. I think they've got a lot of experience, even though they've lost guys like Luke Famba. And and I think that you know they're going to be better off for having this experience. Um, I think it's going to motivate them because you know I think that they kind of came into this and said, "Hey, three in a row is a real possibility." Not that they took their foot off the gas or took Ohio State lightly, but they, I think, came in expecting to win, and they didn't. And so now they have a chance to maybe bounce back in the outdoor season and do something that they've never done in the outdoor yeah. season, and that, that's that going to get a title. That elusive right? That's like the one, the one piece of hardware that Roditi has yet to put on his shelf. And, and if this is the thing that eventually motivates them to get them over that hump, then so be it. Um, but I think that they're talented and they're capable enough of competing and, and reaching the final four in the outdoor season as well. So a lot of, a lot of tennis left to play for these guys. Um, and, and I mean, they were, uh, gosh, one, one break here or yeah. there and things could have, things could have gone differently. On it was a blast. It was a blast to watch. I was paying attention again, had no idea what was happening, but I really enjoyed watching it. Um, before we get out of here, JB, just a couple of around the big 12 notes, uh, a yeah. couple of former frogs on the Baylor staff and Baylor all of a sudden has two big openings as they saw two of their position coaches who might be positions those two guys are familiar with uh leave for bama in mm. addition ohio state loses their oc on monday president's day what is it february 19th which is a really really bummer of thing for both of those programs um i don't feel bad for either of them uh but no. but it is really unfortunate i think Iowa State's probably hurting a lot more than than Baylor with this change. Is is uh, Nate Shieldhouse goes to the Los Angeles Rams? Rams? No, yes, yes, Rams um, to to become their passing game coordinator. Uh, mm -hmm. One of the rising stars in uh, in college football, taking that pro check. Something we've seen quite a few of those guys do this offseason. Yeah, he's uh, like he's like thirty three years old or something like he is at one of the bright young minds, like you said, in college football. And and that's a big loss for Iowa state. Maybe they can just do what uh, big brother Iowa has done and forego offense altogether and just go and hire Brian full, Ferentz, is hire Brian Ferentz and just go fully defensive minded and, yeah. and special teams be elite and win 10 games a year. I don't know. Maybe that's yeah, they hired a special teams coach yet. 
Also, I don't, don't know that I they mean, don't get to play Brian, in the Big Ten, so maybe Brian Ferentz can do that too. Yeah, maybe he yeah. can also coach best. Iowa State fans are, are burning things yep, right now. Yep, I can yep. already feel it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I mean, it, it happens, and uh, you know, anytime a, a college coach takes a job in the NFL from here on out, we're going to hear about the NIL and the transfer mm-hmm. portal and all of the other stuff. But in reality, they just they got a job in the NFL. Yeah. Like not many of those people have been moving from the college ranks to the NFL ranks for as long as both of those things have existed and they will continue to do so. And it's just nature of the beast sometimes. And, you know, Iowa state will be fine. Yeah. In the long run, they'll be fine. They'll win eight games with a really loaded roster and everyone will make fun of Matt Campbell. And then he'll win 10 games with an unexperienced roster and and we'll do it all over again in, in three years. Well, as much as college coaches leave for the NFL when the opportunity arises, people tend to leave Waco when the opportunity arises as well. Um, and Baylor lost their offensive line coach who had been there for, I think, I, th- I saw the beam of the Aaron Rodgers uh, season with the Jets about for as long as he had been there. It had been like days. Um, mm-hmm. And they also lost their linebacker coaches as both go to Bama. Um, are we going to see a Jerry Anderson offensive line coach at Baylor and Gary Patterson linebackers coach at Baylor situation here? I, I don't think so, but it's funny to think about. It is funny to think about. And hey, get a job, homie. Get a get a job, get a paycheck, do what you need to do. We watched a lot of Jared Anderson offensive lines here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a thing that happened. So if it happens again, we all have thoughts. Just going to take a sip of water. Yep. As... This has been the Frogs <laughs> Insider Podcast. She is Melissa Treewasser. I am Jamie Plunkett. We'll talk to you next time. Recapping TCU's series with UCLA, couple men's basketball games between now and then, and anything else that's going on in the TCU Athletics universe, we'll let you know about it on the next episode. Make sure that you've liked the, liked the YouTube channel. Leave us a comment under the video. Wherever you get your podcasts, make sure that you're subscribed. Leave a five-star rating and share it with a friend. Put us in the ears of every frog person that you know. Because make I them all suffer make alongside them, you. Make them hear the Jared Anderson jokes at the hour and three minute mark, just like you did. Make them do it. Okay. I didn't say anything. I took a sip of water, Jamie. I drank some water. I do not need to get be getting a DM tomorrow. Anyways, go frogs. We'll talk to you next time. Go frogs. <laughs>